Here we go. Good morning, everybody. Today is day one of a six-part series on prayer that we're beginning today uh, for the next five Sundays. And then on Good Friday, we're going to finish up the series for our Good Friday service, which is going to be in El Cerrito. We're going to tell you more about that as we go. Uh, the purpose of this series is to provoke and inspire you to deeper depths of intimacy with God through personal prayer. And so we're going to use our Sunday morning gatherings and our weekly community group meetings to inspire and provoke you to personal prayer and to go to a deeper depth of intimacy with God through personal prayer. Now I'm going to read, I'm going to start with one verse of scripture here, and then we're going to get into it. Uh, this is Habakkuk chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. It, it's going to be very simple. Habakkuk chapter 2, this just the second part of verse 3. It says, though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it, would not, it will not tarry. Now, this, the word wait there actually could also be translated to tarry. Because to tarry means to linger or to wait. So we could literally read this verse, though it tarries, tarry for it, because it will surely come and it will not tarry. Today I want to talk to you about the three tarries. That's the name of my sermon. The three tarries. Tarry, tarry, tarry. <laughs> Though it tarries, tarry for it. Because it will surely come and it will not tarry. Father, speak to us today by the power of your word and spirit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now... To open this up, we're going to go to the book of Luke, chapter 18. You can turn there if you wish. Luke, chapter 18. It's important that we read this out of the New King James Version or the King James Version because the NIV and a few different other translations have something different. And I'm going to show you that what the translators of the NIV did basically is relax a key paradox that actually defines what our prayer life is supposed to be all about. I'm reading this from the New King James Version. I'm going to read verses, we're going to deal with verses 1 through 8, but I'm going to start by giving you verse 1 and the end of verse 8. Now in verse 1, Luke tells us the meaning of the parable that Jesus is about to tell. Before he even tells the parable, he tells us what it's all about. In verse 1 he says, Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. So he says, before I tell you what the parable is, I'm going to tell you what the parable means. The parable means that you should always pray and not lose heart. Always meaning continually, yeah. all the time. He spoke a parable to them because he wanted them to understand that you should be praying nonstop and you should never lose heart. Yeah. Then, the end of verse 8 Jesus gives us the conclusion of the parable. And the conclusion of the parable is, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith in the earth? So first he says, the parable means that we should pray and not lose heart. And then Jesus ends the parable by saying, but when I come, am I going to find faith in the earth? Not sure. Which means that the definition of faith in this passage 
is the ability to pray continually and not lose heart. Jesus is saying, literally, when I come back, is there going to be anybody left who's praying and not losing heart? What I want you to know today and what the Word of God wants to teach us today is that every devil in hell is arrayed against your prayer life. That Satan will do anything that he possibly can not to prevent you from giving an offering, not to prevent you from serving a ministry, not to prevent you from coming to a Sunday morning service, he will uh, he'll, he'll just stand by, go on to the service, but if you go home and get on your knees, see what happens. Wow. Yeah. Every devil in hell, will. we can't let him do that because he knows what happens. He knows wow. that if you begin to build a personal, intimate, powerful connection with God through continual personal prayer, wow. he is finished. Yeah. 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 It's lights out. It's game over. So he'll do anything to stop that. He knows you could come to church for 30 years and your life never change. Wow. But you could spend 30 minutes in prayer and everything change. Wow. Yeah. And he has three primary tactics to disrupt your prayer life. The first is distraction. And he doesn't have to work hard on that in this digital age we're in. That's why, you know, when I pray, I try to leave my cell phone in another room. Distraction is just way too easy. Yeah. The second tactic is temptation. Yeah. You think, what, what's he trying to do when he's tempting you? What is, oh, he just wants to tempt me to sin. Why? Because the sinning man stops praying. Wow. But he also knows that the praying man stops sinning. Wow. He knows if he can get you to sin, he can get you to stop praying. But if he, can, if he can't stop you from praying, God's going to stop you from sinning. Leonard Ravenhill said that. The sinning man stops praying, and the praying man stops sinning. The devil will do anything to stop you from praying. And his third tactic is discouragement. And here's how the discouragement of the enemy works. Whenever something goes wrong in your life, he comes alongside you to convince you that it's much worse than it appears to be. He simply heightens and enhances the normal day-to-day trials and tribulations that we all go through to convince us that the meaning of that trial is that God has abandoned you. Why? He wants you to stop praying. And by the way, if he's not fighting you with any of these things, it's because you probably already stopped praying so long ago he doesn't have to anymore. Let's get to the parable now. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not Lose heart. By the way, that that term there, to lose heart, means to become utterly spiritless. To be completely and totally exhausted. To have no more strength to move even another inch. You felt that physically. You've gone through moments physically where I can't go another inch. I can't take another step. I've just got to stop. You've experienced that relationally. I can't forgive Mm. one more wrong. Mm. I just don't have the emotional capacity right now. Mm. I've got to take a break. I've got to separate. Mm. The enemy wants you to go through that spiritually. Mm. I can't utter another prayer. I can't make another request. Mm. I can't sing another lyric of another worship song. Mm. I'm utterly spiritless 
Jesus says, you should pray always and never lose heart. Now he's going to tell us a parable. There was in a certain city an unjust judge. There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Meaning this judge lived only for his personal agenda. He was concerned only with his personal status and with his personal agenda. He neither feared God nor regarded man, which meant that the decisions that he made were never based on justice because he had no fear of God. The decisions that he made were based on what was going to further his own career, what was going to look best for him in the media. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. This widow, the fact that she's a widow tells us that there was a death in her household. Her husband died. And in ancient Israel, in the ancient Near East especially, whenever a woman's husband died and she was left a widow, she was left completely and totally vulnerable. Typically, they were left completely and totally penniless. But it seems in this story that this woman was left some type of uh, provision from her husband. But there was an adversary who rose up against her to take it from her. He saw her as easy pickings. He saw her as an easy target because there was no husband there to protect her. And he thought, nobody will care about this widow. I can simply come in and seize her property. Maybe he tricked her into investing her money into some scheme and then ran off with her money. Whatever it was, she was robbed. And she was robbed by an adversary. The word adversary comes from the Hebrew satan which is the name of Satan himself. He is your adversary, and it means one who stands against. It means one who comes to your life to steal, to kill, and to destroy you. An adversary had come into her life, stolen her provision, taken away her inheritance from her children, and left her empty and penniless and without any form of provision in the world. And he counted on her powerlessness. How many know that your adversary, the devil, is simply waiting for you to have a weak moment so that he can capitalize on your your weakness, steal, kill, and destroy you? Because let me tell you something. I don't care how strong you are. Nobody's strong every day. Nobody's strong 24-7, 365. Nobody lives their life without having a weak moment, a weak spot. The devil, he simply sits extremely patiently waiting for your weak spot, waiting for the moment in which he can devour you, in which he can steal, kill, and destroy you. He's waiting. He's your adversary, and he's waiting for the perfect moment to destroy you. And this adversary found the perfect moment in this woman's life and robbed her blind. And every time you have experienced the disruption of the enemy in your life, it's simply because he caught you at a weak point. Now, this woman could have sat at home feeling sorry for herself and saying, well, I guess it's my own fault. I guess I shouldn't have invested in that. I guess I fell right into that trap. It's my own fault. But something rose up on the inside of her and said, no, I'm not going to take this sitting down. You see, this woman had no stature. This woman had no status. This woman had no power. This woman had no money. This woman had no friends in high places. This woman had no connections. But she had one thing that her adversary was not counting on. She had a mouth. 
You need to look at your neighbor and say, I, I might not have much, but I got a mouth. Her adversary was not counting on her using her mouth. Instead, he was counting on her remaining home silently enduring the loss of her property. But instead, she made a decision, I'm about to use this mouth God gave me. My mouth is all I've got. Listen, faith begins at the moment you recognize that your mouth is all you got. When you come to the place where all I got is a mouth, I'm going to use it. Where I've got no more strategy, but I still got a mouth. I got no more money, but I still got a mouth. I might not even have any connections or relationships, but I still got a mouth. That's when you make a decision. My strategy is my mouth. (laughs) So she goes to court. She stands before this judge, and she says, get justice for me from my adversary. And the judge looks at her, a woman with no status, no stature, no position, no power, no money, no connections. And he's thinking, what's this going to do for my portfolio? What's this going to do for my career? Nothing. And then he looks at her adversary, probably a very prominent, very wealthy businessman, had it all together, all of the connections. And he's thinking, man, I'm going to challenge him? Mm -mm, That doesn't look good on my resume. He says, I'm throwing this case out of court. There's no evidence. He throws it out. And he thinks it's over and done with. She's going to go home with her tail between her legs, right? So he goes home, has a good night's sleep, wakes up in the morning, takes the dog out, and goes for his jog, morning jog at the lake with his, jog, with his dog. And, and he comes around the corner, and the woman is standing on the, on the corner going, get justice for me from my adversary. He's like, woman, leave me alone. He finishes his jog. He's thinking, man, this is messed. What is this woman's problem, right? Goes home, takes a shower, gets dressed, on his way to the office, stops at his favorite coffee shop, waits in line, and when he gets up to the front of the line, he says, I'll have a non-fat mocha cappuccino with extra whatever. I just made that up. I don't know. And all of a sudden, he looks up at the person taking his order, and it's the woman. And she goes, get justice for me from my adversary. And he runs out of the coffee shop like, what is this woman's problem? And and he goes to work, and he's thinking everything's fine, but at lunchtime, he had an appointment at the barbershop, and he goes in to get his hair done, and he leans back in his chair, and they put the bib around him, and just as he hears the shears turn on, he looks up into the face of the woman. She's holding the clippers. Get justice for me from my adversary. He jumps out of the chair. He's like, what is your problem? And that night, he takes his wife out to a beautiful candlelit dinner. In a, in a beautiful restaurant, and they get a, a window seat looking right out over the ocean, and they're enjoying the view and enjoying the ambience, and all of a sudden, whose face pops up outside the window? She's pounding on the glass going, get justice for me from my adversary. And finally, his wife says to him, you better do something about this woman. I'm tired of her calling the house. I'm tired of her sending messages up through the bellboy. I'm tired of her sending emails. I'm tired of her leaving messages on our answering machine. I'm sick and tired of this woman. You better get this woman out of our lives. Now let's go back to the text. All of that was the NGT, the New Ghetto Translation. I just had to break it down so you understand what this means. Now, let's go back to verse 3. Now, there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. Verse 4, and he would not for a while. But afterward, after what? After everything I just described. He said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this woman troubles me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming 
she weary me. He says, I'm going to give her justice because I'm tired. He wore her down. She wore him down. Meaning that you can get justice if you're prepared to fight a long fight. You don't have to be strong. You just have to have endurance. You don't have to be mighty or powerful. Can you fight a long fight? By her continual coming, lest by her continual coming she weary me. I will avenge her, he says, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Verse 6, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Hear it. Even though he did not fear God nor regard man, he still gave her justice because she would not you hear that? Yeah. Verse 7. And shall God not avenge his own elect? Yeah. This unjust evil judge avenged this poor widow woman. Will God not avenge his own elect? His own people that he called by his own name, that he bought with his own blood, that he paid for with his own life, whose names he called before the foundation of the world. Will God not avenge his own elect? But there's another clause here that provides us with a prerequisite to participate in the intervention of God. You must be more than the elect. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him? Yeah. So God's not moving on my behalf. Maybe you're the elect, but you're not crying out day and night to him. Yeah. You're going to heaven, but you're not crying out day and night to him, so you're not going to see no breakthrough. You're bought with the blood, but you're not crying out day and night to him. The Holy, the Holy Spirit's on the inside of you, but you're not, you ain't got no prayer life, and so you ain't getting no breakthrough. Wow. Yeah. Shall God not avenge his elect who cry out day and night? If you want to see God break through, you're going to have to learn how to cry out day and night. If you want to see God move in your life, you're going to have to learn how to cry out day and night. Remember the meaning of the parable that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And here is the problem. See, I could, I could preach till I'm blue in the face about how important prayer is, and everybody would say amen, yeah. right? I don't think there's anybody who would not say amen. The question is, why don't we do it? Because it's, it's one thing to say amen. It's another thing to actually go home and do it. Let me tell you why it's so hard for us to do it. And can I, can I confess? It's just as hard for me to pray as it is yeah. for you to pray. Yeah. Let me tell you why prayer is so hard. Prayer is an investment. But it is not a safe investment. You know, there are certain investments that are really safe. There's that 2% bank account. Have you seen that? That 2% bank account, you put your money in there, you get a solid 2%. Guaranteed. It's not volatile at all. Prayer is not like that. That's not prayer. Prayer is the most volatile form of investment you could make. The closest thing to prayer that I could think of 
is Bitcoin. <laughs> Let me explain why. This, by the way, is not an endorsement of Bitcoin. Those, Pastor told me to buy. No, mm -mm, I did not say that. Let me tell you why prayer is like Bitcoin. Because you could buy Bitcoin today. I think this morning it's $8,700 per coin. You could buy one coin today and tomorrow it'll be $5,000. Meaning you can buy it today, put your money in, and the value of it decrease overnight. That's how volatile Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is so volatile, you have no clue where it's going. You have no clue. And everybody's saying, I think it's going to be worth a million. You have no clue what it's going. It might be worth zero dollars. And you have to put your money in and watch the value of it drop. And when you're watching the value of your investment drop, everything in you says, sell it. And now you sell it at a loss. You put in $8,700, you freaked out. By the time it got to $7,000, you sold it, you lost $1,600. And then the next day, somebody says, you should buy Bitcoin. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I can't handle that kind of volatility. And you might get excited because you might put your money in today at $8,600, and tomorrow it goes up to $10,000. Yay! You're so excited. But the next day, it goes down to five. And then the next day goes up 15,000. Yay! And then the next day goes down to three. Like nobody knows where Bitcoin's going. It's like the wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it, but you know not where it's going, nowhere, nor where it's coming from. It's that volatile. You can spend an hour in prayer tonight, and tomorrow your life get worse. You can go home tonight, get on your knees, and pray for your finances for an hour and lose your job tomorrow. Am I lying to you? See, when we pray, we want to see cause and effect. Uh -huh. We want the Holy Spirit to submit to the laws of cause and effect. Yeah. I spend an hour in prayer, I should have an hour of anointing. Yeah. An hour of breakthrough. Yeah. I should see an incremental increase in my situation, in my finances, in my career, yeah. in my marriage. You can go home and pray for your marriage for, for an hour and come right out of the prayer closet and your wife come out of her room and beat the crap out of you. I've been there. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But for real, but no. I'm just <laughs> Prayer is incredibly volatile. And so in order to pray, you must believe in the end game. You must believe that even though I invested in prayer tonight, but something went wrong tomorrow, if I invest in prayer again tomorrow, even if something goes wrong the next day, if I invest in prayer again the next day and something goes wrong the next day, one of these days, yeah, 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 yeah. my situation's going to change. Yeah. Yeah. One of these days, the value of my investment is going to increase. Yeah. One of these days, I'm going to get justice from my adversary. One of these days, there's no way because, listen, Bitcoin might go to zero, but prayer never will. Come on, somebody. Shall, not, shall God not avenge his own elect? who cry out night and day to him, yeah. listen to the next phrase, though he bears long with them. Wow. Wait a minute. 
God avenges who? His elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. You see, there's actually three components that ensure that you are in alignment with not only the will of God, but the plan of God for your breakthrough. You must, number one, be the elect, which means you must simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, mind, and soul. Believe that he died for your sins, arose from the grave, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, that salvation is through faith in him. Now you're the elect. You've been rejuvenated. I mean, uh, you've, been, uh, uh, you've been saved. You've got, you've got to be saved. I can't think of no theological terms right now. I'm in the NGT in my head. Number one, you got to be the elect. Number two, you got to cry out night and day. And number three, you got to continue crying out day and night, even though he bears long with you. Now, this is the thing we don't like. I'm fine crying out night and day for about two weeks. But when you start talking years... I mean, it's better for me to just wait until God's ready to move. Then I'll start praying. I used to tell God, can you just let me know when you're ready to do something, okay? I'm just going to be over here chilling. Why does God bear long with us? Why does God take so long? I mean, we talk about Abraham. He had to wait 20 years. He actually had to wait a lot longer than 20 years. He had to wait 20 years after he got the promise at 80 years old. He had to wait till he was 80 to get the promise. He actually waited 100 years. Why does God bear long with us? Why does God delay? I want to go back to what the widow asks the judge for. Get justice for me, for my adversary. What is justice? The first word that comes to my mind when I think of justice is restoration. Give me back what the enemy stole from me. But restoration is only one part of justice. You see, if you were robbed today and repaid tomorrow, restoration is enough. If I went into Sharon's purse and found $10,000 in cash and I took it out, but tomorrow I was grief, guilt-stricken, so I brought her back her $10,000. If I give it back tomorrow, no harm, no foul. I mean, not no harm, no foul relationally because she's like, I don't think I can trust you again, but in terms of <laughs> restoration is enough. But let's say Sharon was on the way to put that $10,000 into an interest accruing account that was going to be her retirement fund. And I stole it today, but didn't return it to her for 15 years. Giving her back $10,000 that I took, that's not justice. That's restoration, but now that there has been a long period of time, there must be reparations. Restoration is fine if there's been no delay. Yeah. But once there's been a period of time, there now must be reparations. Wow. Now I owe her more because of the 
time and suffering that has elapsed between when I robbed her and when I repay her, I, it's not justice until she gets reparations. And if someone were to say to Sharon, it's been so many years, just forget about it. You know, it's just over. It's just, it's just. No, 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 no. Yeah. The longer it gets, the more I am owed. The long period of time doesn't mean I don't get reparations. The longer period of time means I get more reparations. And if you want to wait another 10 years, I'm going to get more reparations. Let me tell you why God bears long with you. He's qualifying you for reparations. He's qualifying you for more than you lost. The woman just kept on saying, get me just. No, she did not say, get me restoration. She said, I want justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want more than what he stole from me. I want more than what he took. I want him to fill the gap that was lost by the absence of my inheritance. I want him to fill. The, I want more. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. You don't believe me? You, you don't believe me, do you? You remember this dude, Caleb? There were 12 spies. The children of Israel in the wilderness, they just come out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They gone to Mount Sinai. God met them there and gave them the Ten Commandments. And now they're just journeying to the promised land. It's supposed to take them about 40 days. Yeah. Like this whole six-week sermon series, that's how long it was supposed to take them to get to the promised land. Yeah. And they come to the edge of the promised land. Moses chooses 12 spies, one from every tribe of Israel. And he sends them into the promised land. Come back and tell us how great it is so that we know what we're taking. And the 12 spies come back, and 10 of them go, yeah, you know, it's, it's all bad. It's all bad. We can't do this. This ain't going to work. But there were two of them, one named Joshua and one named Caleb, who said, no, nah, God said we can do it. If God said we could do it, we could do it. Yeah. And the people were like, but we're like grasshoppers in their eyes, and we're so small, and we're so weak, and we just, we're like grasshoppers. Cricket. We're just crickets. <laughs> yeah. And Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, I know, but God said we could do it. Is there anybody who will believe that God said, if God said we can do it, we can do it? Yeah. If God said it's mine, it's mine. Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 let's take it now. Let's go right now. And Caleb, jumped, Caleb quieted the people before Moses. He said, listen, we are very able right now. Let's yeah, get our swords. Yeah, let's, yeah, we don't yeah. need a battle plan. Let's go up right now. The enemy's going to flee before us. We're going to take the inheritance that God gave us. And the people picked up stones to stone Joshua and Caleb. And so God said, okay, okay, okay. Listen to the people. Don't go in. You're now going to spend 40 years in the wilderness because of your unbelief. Yeah. Joshua and Caleb didn't have any unbelief, yeah. but they still had to spend 40 years in the wilderness wow. because of the unbelief of the people. Yeah. And if, I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd have been, I, would, I would have been mad yeah. as I could be that whole 40 years. Yeah. Get y'all walking through this desert because of y'all. People walk. Hey, Caleb, don't talk to me. Get away from me. God, can't I go by myself? Why didn't God say, go ahead by yourself? Mm -mm. Caleb, you've got to spend 40 years in the wilderness with everybody else. Now, what did God promise them? When they get to the promised land, everybody gets, every man of Israel gets a house and a field. Everybody gets a house and a field. So now they get to the promised land. We're in Joshua chapter 14, and all the men of Israel are coming to Joshua, and Joshua's going, here's your house, here's your field, here's your house, here's your field, here's your house, here's your field, and Caleb's just standing in line. <laughs> now it comes to Caleb, and he goes, mm-mm. I wanted a house and a field 40 years ago. Yeah. 
That's restoration. I'm not here asking for no restoration. Now I want reparations. Now you're going to give me justice. Don't think I'm going to take no house and field. Don't think you're going to give me a house and a field. You better recognize. You better put some respect on my name. You about to give me more than a house and a field. And Joshua says, well, what do you want? He goes, give me that mountain right there. I want a mountain. These fools get houses and fields. I want that mountain right there. And how come nobody rose up and said, hey, it's not fair. How come he gets the mountain? And I only got No, everybody was like, dude, give this man his mountain. This man better, it would be in, he better not just get a house. Everybody was like, he better not get a house in the field. Give the man a mountain. And everybody's like, I'll help you fight for that mountain. I'm going, this is going to be Caleb's mountain. (laughs) Caleb is going to get this. Why? Because this is justice. Listen, sometimes God lets you walk through a barren wilderness so that you can build the boldness to ask for more. Did you get that? You need to write that down. Sometimes God lets you walk through a barren wilderness because he wants to build within you the boldness to ask for more. Because he knew that if he did not allow you to walk through that wilderness, you would be happy with a house and a field. But God has destined you for more than a house and a field. He's destined you to possess a mountain. But he's got to let you walk through a wilderness before you've got the boldness to rise up like Caleb and say, give me that mountain right there. I don't want no house and field. Come on, somebody. Be careful with your hands because the the camera. No, don't raise them. Sodas. Sorry about that, soda. Now, it gets thicker. The mountain that Caleb asked for was actually the dwelling place of a city called Hebron. Hebron was the place where Abraham pitched his tents and built an altar to the Lord in Genesis chapter 13. Meaning, what Caleb was actually taking back was the land that his father Abraham dwelt in. Hebron was the place where Abraham's wife Sarah died in Genesis chapter 23 and was buried there in the cave of Machpelah. Literally, the bones of my fathers are up on that mountain. What he's actually taking back is the land that his fathers dwelt in. It was the land that Isaac dwelt in, that Jacob came to Isaac. Remember, he came to Isaac and he said, bless me, and he he stole the blessing. That happened in Hebron. That was the land of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. That was the land that God swore on oath to give to Abraham and his descendants forever. Let me tell you something. Our forebears, our spiritual fathers and mothers of centuries past have lived on mountains because of their faith that we have yet to climb because of our prayerlessness. And when you come to the place where you say, I'm going to press through in prayer until I possess my mountain, what you're actually doing is taking back the land of your fathers, taking back the place that God swore on oath to give to to you and your descendants forever. Do you realize that there's places of power and anointing in the spirit of God that your fathers lived in, that your mothers lived in, but you've never been to because you don't have the prayer life for it? Give me this mountain. I want that mountain. Some, listen, I'm trying to provoke you to prayer. That you're going to go home and get on your knees and say, give me justice. 
Give me justice. All the years that the enemy has come against me and stolen my peace and stolen my joy, disconnected me from your love and your presence. Your, give me justice for all those years. Give me more. Give me more of your power and your glory than I ever. More of your anointing. More. Give me justice. The most powerful, one of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray. But here's where the plot thickens. And I'm bringing this in for a landing pretty soon. <laughs> Jesus says, And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I say to you, he will avenge them speedily. Ooh. Hold on a second. That's the paradox that the NIV just smooths out so you don't have to struggle with it. Though he bears long with them, he will avenge them speedily. Amen. Well, which is it, Jesus? Is it going to take a long time or is it going to be quick? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus says, yes. Yeah. Though he bears long with you, he's going to avenge you quickly. Yeah. It's going to take a long time and it's going to be speedy. And this is the crisis of prayer. In order to have depth in your prayer life, your faith must be prepared for a long wait while simultaneously expecting a speedy reply. Did you hear that? When you get on your knees to pray, your faith must be prepared for a long wait while simultaneously expecting a speedy reply. Wow. And if you are not prepared for the long wait, you don't have no faith. Your faith is just broken. But if you're prepared for the long wait, but you're not expecting a, a speedy reply, you ain't got no faith. Yeah. Your yeah. faith is broken. Yeah. Simultaneously, that means even if it takes 20 years every day, you should wake up going, this is the day. This is coming today. God is doing it today. God's doing it today. But if he doesn't do it today, I'm not discouraged. I'm going to wake up tomorrow going, this is the day. This is the day. I know God's coming today. Surely this is the day. And he doesn't come today, you wake up tomorrow going, this is the day. And 20 years later, you're still going, this is the day. This is the day. This is the day. And why? Because every day that he delays, I know my reparations are getting greater. Every day he delays, my reparations are getting greater. Every day I know, I know it's going to be a greater breakthrough. This is the day. This is the day. And part of me even hopes it's not today because if it's tomorrow, it's going to be greater than today. Come on, somebody. Watch this. Going back to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. Though it tarries, that is, though he bears long. Though it tarries tarry for it. Amen. That is, though, though it waits, wait for it. Though it bears long, bear along with it. Yeah. That is, what do you do when the breakthrough of God tarries? You know what you do? You tarry. Yeah. You tarry with the promise. Yeah. That is, that period of time between you requesting and God answering is the period called tarrying. Yeah. And tarrying is not a passive you know, kicking back, doing Netflix and chill until he, you know, just one day Jesus come. No, no, no. Tearing is, is sitting with the Lord. Yeah. God, I'm tearing yeah, with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
God, I'm building intimacy with you during this time of waiting. God, I'm standing in faith. I'm walking in faith. I'm waiting, and I know I've been waiting 20 years for this, but if I have to wait another 20 years, I'm going to wait in your presence, not outside of your presence. I'm going to keep oil in my lamp. I'm not going to be like the foolish virgins who just sat around saying, ah, he's not coming. No, 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 I'm tarrying with you. Though it tarries, tarry. Tarry with him. Wait with him. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? Don't go, don't go quickly to the nations. Wait in Jerusalem. Tarry in Jerusalem. If you want the Holy Spirit to come, you've got to learn how to tarry. The greatest problem in the body of Christ today is we've forgotten how to tarry. We've forgotten how to wait. We've forgotten how to sit in his presence without the breakthrough, but say, God, I'm not moving from my place. We've forgotten that they that wait upon the Lord, they that tarry upon the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not... We've forgotten how to tarry. Carry with God. For us, the longer the breakthrough takes, the more disillusioned and discouraged we get. Why? Because that's the trick of the enemy. He's trying to distract you with what other people got that you don't have. He's trying to tempt you to take it in your own hands and take it for yourself. And he's trying to discourage you with the fact that God hasn't done it, so God must not love you. No, 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 no. You break through that by tearing. I'm tearing with you, God. I know I thought it was going to come sooner, but it doesn't matter. I'm waiting with you, yeah, God. Yeah, and if i got to wait yeah, 15, yeah. 20 more years, I'm going to yeah, wait 15, 20 yeah. more years. Even if I have to wait 40 years, I know there's a mountain on the other side of that 40 years. Yes. Terry. 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 Though it tarries, Terry. Why? Because it will surely come. And it will not tarry. And this is the last piece of the puzzle. And I'm bringing this in for a landing. I couldn't wait to preach this today. I couldn't wait. I feel like I'm going to explode right now. (laughs) Though it tarries, tarry. Because it shall surely come. And it shall not tarry. Watch this. Though he bears long with them. He will avenge them speedily. What does that mean? That means that even though God may take 20 years before breaking through, when he does, he's going to do it suddenly. You didn't get it. Stop clapping because you didn't get it. (laughs) Listen. Our problem is we we live under the law of accumulation. And we think, you know, in order for there to be a real change in your life, you have to see an incremental accumulation of daily transformation and change. And if you don't see any accumulation of anything, you're not expecting anything big to happen. But heaven does not operate by the law of of accumulation. The accumulation is actually happening in heaven, not on earth. The accumulation is actually bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And what's accumulating are your prayers. What's accumulating is the strength of your prayers, and your prayers are filling bowls of incense in the presence of God. And when that, and only God knows how much accumulation is happening on your behalf. And you don't see nothing happening on the earth, but in heaven, God says, Oh, it's getting bigger, it's getting greater, it's getting stronger, it's getting closer. God is sitting on the throne, like, I want to get up, but it's not yet time. Man, I'm ready to go, but I, I got to sit another minute. Ooh, I can't wait. Oh my God, I can't wait. God is up in heaven going, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you ready for and all of a sudden he says now and all of a sudden all of heaven moves on your behalf come on somebody Woo! 
We serve a God who saves by suddenlies. We serve a God who saves by suddenlies. You never saw it coming. You didn't know where it was coming from, but you knew to lift your eyes up to the hills knowing that your help comes from the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. He saves by suddenlies. Come on and give him a shout of praise right now. Stand up on your feet. Give him a shout of praise right now. Come on, somebody. I came to incite a riot today. I came to incite a riot today. Move over so they can see me in soda. No, not y'all, just him. He's too big. I came, listen, I came not simply to bring hype, but to stir you up to go home and get on your knees in prayer. To stir you up that when you go home and get on your knees in prayer and it feels like nothing's happening, I'm telling you all of heaven is beginning to move on your behalf. Come on, somebody. I came to encourage you today because you've been so beaten down and discouraged because the enemy has convinced you that God hasn't heard you. The enemy's convinced you that God is not with you. The enemy's convinced you that your prayers do no good. But I came today to tell you that all of heaven is listening that all of heaven is listening, and even now God's preparing your mountain. It's the place that your fathers dwelt, and something is stirring up on the inside of you. Listen, the longer God takes, the longer God takes, yeah, yeah, yeah. the more he favors you. Wow, wow, wow. You ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Yeah. He had the most powerful healing ministry of the 20th century. Yeah, yeah. Even authority, not just, he just didn't have a gift of healing. He had authority over sickness and disease. Yeah. It could not dwell in his presence. You ever heard of John G. Lake? They put, they put a, a, uh, a, an infectious disease in his hand, and it died in his hand. That kind of authority. You know when Smith Wigglesworth started praying for the sick? When he was 16. You know when they started getting healed? When he was 50. There was a 34-year period where God says, you keep praying. You keep believing. You keep seeking my face. I'm preparing your mountain. I'm preparing your mountain. Even though I bear long with you, I'm going to avenge you suddenly. I want you to lift up your hands right now, and I want you to begin to cry out, God, give me justice. Give me justice. Whatever the enemy stole from you, you not only are claiming it back, but you're claiming reparations. Give me justice. Come on, lift up your voice right now.